This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Hone your development skills at learn.thoughtbot.com. Yo, what's up? Brand new webcam. Oh, nice. I can see you again. <laughs> I'm adjusting the audio volume on this track so I can listen to Ice Cube in the background and talk to, and talk to you at the same time. Okay. Ice Cube, huh? I'm still on that Radio Los Santos playlist. <laughs> sure. Here, I'll hand you a gift that you can... <laughs> it's so bad that I, I know the gifts you're going to send me before <laughs> you send them. Just, you know, because of context. There you go. <laughs> yep, that's what I thought. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Buildface. Oh man. So what's up? Nothing. Just trying to figure out what we're going to talk about. But you know, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Wing it. So how the hell was Spaceballs? Spaceballs is great. I love that freaking movie. I, it's on Netflix Instant, which is a new thing, I think. I, I don't think it's been on Netflix Instant. But, uh, yeah, it showed up on Netflix Instant, and I was like, uh, my wife was working on some stuff, so I ordered some food, and I turned on Spaceballs, and she's just like, what the hell are you watching? <laughs> and then she's yelling at me the whole time, because like, I was just like saying all the lines <laughs> back <laughs> before they happened. <laughs> you know? It seems like more often than not, she really disapproves of your television oh, yeah, viewing yeah. habits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost always. We, I mean, we have just totally different concepts of what constitutes good tv and movies and everything she did start watching breaking bad which is good i don't think she's kept watching it but she watched like four episodes and she was like this show's really funny and i was like yeah just wait (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) have you seen that show oh yeah all right yeah so she's in the first season you know and she's watching the first four episodes and it's like yeah that's when it was totally a comedy i remember that (laughs) right and then yeah Pretty soon, it's not going to be a comedy at all. I love that show. You could probably like like recut all of those scenes together into like a make it look like a comedy show, like yeah. like the scenes from the early episodes, like the like the bathtub falling through the through the, floor. The, yeah. the first season had like legitimate comedic undertones. You know what I mean? The whole bit, you know, he strips down and into his underwear on the thing and you know what I mean it's like all of that was just designed to be funny and then it but it was a trick right the whole all of that was just a trick to get people to watch the show because they're like oh that's the dad from Malcolm in the Middle so this is going to be funny right if you just say the dad from Malcolm in the Middle in like a serious drama it's not going to work so you suck him in with the comedy and then like towards the end of season 1 the comedy starts tapering off and then at the end of season 1 it's just like Okay, we're done with that now. <laughs> this is this yes. is a insanely dark drama going yeah. forward. <laughs> like I think that guy just beat a man to death. <laughs> yeah. I thought this was supposed to be a family show. Right. I want to see clips like recut to like the step by step theme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, but so I was watching I was watching Spaceballs and then I kept going on my I think third or fourth watch through of Arrested Development. Which is <laughs> Oh, it's fun. But I can I can just I just watch those in the background now. Like I barely pay attention. Right. You know, <clears throat> yeah. Tune in the key moments and 
Uh, how's your week been? Fast. Yeah. Like I, I really don't know where this week went. Mm-hmm. It was a short week for us. Well, mm-hmm. kind of. You know, we started Tuesday. Right. On client work through today. Right. I've been um, debugging very difficult problems. Sixty-four bit con- stuff. Yeah, converting an application to sixty-four bit. Yeah. But I'm pleased to report that they're all fixed now. All of it. Yeah, all of it. Was that struct packing thing the last? The yeah, last that was bit? the last big one. Yeah. Yep. Just that the size of the struct and like how it was padded and where it was padded would differed between 32-bit and 64-bit. Right. And because of the way that we were building the struct. Mm-hmm. So we were basically taking NS data and dumping the bytes, mm-hmm. just dumping the bytes and just like hoping that it, you know, filled the struct in correctly, right. which worked right. fine on 32-bit. Right. But on 64-bit, you know, the byte alignment boundaries are double width. They're eight bytes instead of four. Mm-hmm. So the amount of padding and, and where the padding goes changes. Right. So when you're filling it in on 64-bit, nothing's lining up correctly. You're trying to access the members of the struct and you're pointing it just like, you know. Garbage, basically. Yeah, or, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It was a mess, but I learned a hell of a lot. Yeah, it sounds like it. Most of that stuff, I just don't deal with structs and C-level memory management stuff enough to, I just try to stay way higher than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? But Yeah, this, I, I should say this was an overly complex compared to most apps right situation right me and tony were talking about stuff this morning because like once again you know my project right now we have a table view like construction it's a form right and it has labels on the left and text fields on the right you know what i mean which is like a again you want to get back to like every app problems <laughs> I, I I turned to Tony and I was like, "How many times have we built this thing?" He goes, "Always, all like it's just like a constant, constantly building this thing." I was like, "We should figure something else out for this that works." Because the 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 problem is that I do want to be able to configure it in Interface Builder. I want to be able to adjust it in Interface Builder. I don't want to have a lot of that configuration code in the View Controller. And since they tend to be just slightly, slightly, slightly different padding here padding's different here you know the font width is different here stuff is always just subtly subtly different um in every app that there's no good way to do that without just building an object in code and then opening up all these properties and then just configuring it with like sane defaults and then configuring it inside the view controller but so i was talking about how was that xcode 3 in interface builder where you could have interface builder plugins did they remove those yep. in four um, or did, was it was it two? I never used two. No, I never used two either. I when Interface Builder was a separate application with Xcode three, there were plugins. plugins. There was that um, the really popular one was the uh, BW Toolkit from Brandon Walken, right. who's a designer at Facebook, I think. Right, and the Split View is it MG Split View? Did that have an Interface Builder component? I thought that was just a class. His may have been just a class. There was another one that was that was a, and I don't some of the Mac. The long, you know, the Mac people can chime in here, but there was an interface builder plugin for a split view that was basically like everybody used, and then all of a sudden Xcode four came out and everybody's app broke because it was like, well, I'm using this thing that literally I can't use anymore. But, mm-hmm. um, but I was just kind of lamenting that that like this would have been an easy problem to solve back then. 
You know what I mean? We could have written our own little interface builder plugin that was like a table view cell or just a view that we added as a sub view of the cell that had a label and it had a had a text field and we could hook everything up and we could, you know, we could treat it like an object but also configure it visually. And Tony was like, fingers crossed, Xcode 5.2. And I was like, we'll see. And he goes, hey, what if they just give us nothing? What if, what if on Monday... We just get absolutely nothing. It's always a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would, it would be 5-2, right? They're not going to jump to 6. Yeah, I don't think so. What did Xcode 4 get up to? 4-3? Four, 4-3? Three? Four, four, three? I could check, actually. Cause I no, I think it... Didn't no, it go way higher than that? Like 4-6? No, hold on. Oh, yeah, it did go 4-6. Yeah, I was thinking it was like 4-3-6, but it was 4-6. So... So I seem to remember that like four or five brought like auto layout to iOS. Right. I can't imagine that they'll go six. I can see four two or a bigger jump. They don't usually do bigger jumps like that though. Like they wouldn't, they don't usually skip yeah. point releases. Unless we jump to like, you know, OS 11 and then maybe they'll feel compelled to take Xcode up to six or something. Yeah. Everyone is kind of assuming that it's going to be OS 10.10. Yeah, why would they have started the new naming scheme last year? Why'd they start that with 10.9 anyway? Well, because they were out of cats. <laughs> sure. So we're already clear that they're not super great at forward thinking with all this stuff. Like naming Lion 10.7, such a bonehead move. Like why do you... <laughs> Honestly, why do you why do you lose? Everyone was like, "Oh, Lion will obviously be the last of the big cats," you right? Know? And then they brought in like Snow Lion. Was that it? Ma- Mountain, Mountain Lion. Lion. But Mountain Lion had already technically been done because Mountain Lions and Pumas are the same thing, right? <laughs> That's not well thought out. At least with you know California locations, tons of no, those. There's no like terminating. Yeah. You know, also, if they'd really been thinking this out, they could have started with smaller cats and worked themselves up to big cats. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 10.0 tabby. Exactly. 10.1 Persian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have a release with that weird bald hairless cat. <laughs> I don't know what that thing's Dr. called. Dr. Evil's cat? Uh, no, that one had hair. That white one? Well, it did have hair until it went through the freezing and reanimation process, and oh, then it was it completely bald. Then it was that bald thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> now, there's a movie I need to go back and watch. I don't think Austin I've seen Powers. Austin Powers in over 10 years. Oh, I haven't either. The thing, I mean, the thing with that is that it's like, that movie's great, but everybody quoting that movie totally ruined it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, when did that movie come out? I'm going to guess... 96 yeah i was gonna say like the late 90s when everybody was doing austin power voices for freaking everything it's Mm. like kills it yeah so we already went through our wish list stuff for wwdc so we can't really talk about that you want to talk about this status bar thing that we were just discussing sure in the chat sure go ahead and give some background it's your project so the project I'm working on is uh, we have a constant – basically, we, I always want the text in the status bar to be white. And in iOS 6, I would have done that by just setting the status bar style in the P list. But now that – is it deprecated or is it just kind of like it's there but 
it is not deprecated. So status bar style is still valid. But it doesn't work without also turning off view controller based status bar style. Correct. And that's the default in iOS 7. Turning it off. I think it's on. It's on by default. Okay. Okay. Meaning that view controllers individually state how how their uh, status bar should look. And is there something smart going on underneath the covers there too? Because even though I wasn't setting it, it was changing. So basically I have a view. It's like the first view, right? And I've got an image view in the background that's orange, right? Mm-hmm. And it's taken up the, the full size of the screen. But I'm doing it in kind of a weird way where because I because it's inside a navigation controller, so the top layout guide ends at the status bar. Is this the launch view? It's like the first after the launch the launch screen, right? So you have that standard sign in create account yeah thing, right? So I need this the text to be white. Mm-hmm. But because the top layout guide ends at the status bar because it's inside navigation controller and I'm just hiding the nav bar, the top layout guide ends at the status bar. It doesn't end at, at the actual top of the screen. Right. The top layout guide is at the status bar. Right. So the background there is like gray. I think I guess I could fix this easily by just changing that background to black, but the background is gray. And so when I launch the app, if I'm not overriding it in that view controller, or if I'm not doing this P list stuff and setting it globally and disabling the view controller based status bar style, I think it's, it's seeing that the background color is gray. And so it's setting the status bar text to black. But then when my image, when the navigation control, when that view controller actually shows up, the image is I'm manually pushing it up 20 points so that it's in the right spot. I have the top constraint for the, right. for the top layout guide set to negative 20 so that it pushes it up back over the status bar. Okay. And so then it shows black on orange and it's unreadable. So I need to force it back. But then when I get to the next screen, it switches to white. Automatically, like without okay. me doing anything. So, I th- mm. um, and in the next screen, there's a navigation bar that's there visible, is. Yeah, right? And it's and it's orange, and I'm being, okay. I'm setting it to I'm setting it to a color. So I think what's happening is that black is the default. So right. you're seeing black, and then navigation controllers implementation of that method may be looking at a visible nav bar and determining should it be white or black. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's doing that based off the navigation bar style or if it's actually like looking at the color itself mm. and figuring out what has the most contrast against this color. Because mm. I know that you can force it to change easily in a navigation controller by changing the bar style from default to black. Oh. E- either one should work. Right. They, they deprecated a bunch of types of navigation bar style. There's just two now, like default and black. And the black has a light status bar and vice versa. I don't think it's actually doing any sort of like intelligent... You know, looking at the color and determining the best color to display for the status it's bar. Just looking at the status bar style. It's I think totally so. possible that that's being set here somewhere. Um, or the nav bar style, you mean? Mm-hmm. You can set that and still change the tint color, I think. So that's potentially one way to get around subclassing UI navigation controller to provide the right status bar style. But in the last couple of projects I've worked on, I've had to do that anyway. So the only thing I'm doing is setting it to black. So I don't know why it would flip back and forth. Although I guess if it's not visible. Right. It just falls back to the default behavior, I think. Of black. Yeah. That's stupid. 
Yeah. It is. Honestly, like in this, this is a good case of like where I, all I want to do is have the old behavior. I just want to say, just use this. And I want to do it at launch too, right? Because I don't want black text over my launch image and then have it pop to white. Well, but you can set that separately in the target settings, right? Like if you go to the target in general and there's status, status bar, bar style. style and, oh. Right. That wasn't doing anything for me. I thought that applies specifically to launching but all there is is default black translucent black opaque that seems like an old setting yeah that's odd well i don't know i think i'm gonna leave it like this for now just doing the plist stuff just yeah. because it's it's a little less code to deal with i think that's fair and then we'll see what happens yeah. next week my impression was that they they put it in there to make it easier to transition off of ios 6 but i wouldn't expect it to be around for too much longer yeah i just if they don't if they don't have that around they have to have some way to say don't try to be smart here just let me say that like i will design this you know what i mean like that's my main problem here is that is that there is it is doing stuff for me on my behalf it is looking at the background color or is looking at the nav bar color and it's trying to decide if it wants to be white or black and this is a great example of where it's making the wrong choice and literally just not doing anything would be better than what it's doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. If it, if it literally just said, you just tell me what, what this, what the color is and I'll, I'll do that or don't tell me and I won't change it. You know what I mean? Because basically I wasn't ever telling it to change and it was changing between this screen and the next screen. Cause I show the nav bar on the next screen. Right. And it was changing from black to white which is weird and confusing and it's trying mm-hmm. to be it's trying to be too smart in my yeah. opinion. I'm sure that's really nice when you need it. But it kind of requires you to think about how navigation controllers is working when it's not public information. Right. Like I only know that it changes because of, based on bar style and appearance just because I've battled it in war. I'm right. familiar with this particular enemy. Right. Right. It's just frustrating. I mean it's not a huge deal all things considered, like this works and hopefully it'll work for a while. Yeah, I can see how it's a pain for you. But generally, I think letting view controllers individually determine how it should look, especially when you're dealing with multiple view controllers on screen at once, is a Mm. good thing. Do you remember before iOS 7, you would commonly see issues where you're in an app like TweetBot and it kicks you out to some video and it opens up like a video player view controller that's like part of the system and you're watching it sideways and then you dismiss back to TweetBot, and now the uh, status, like the status bar is like on the right edge, but you're holding oh, the phone yeah, towards yeah, it. Yeah. Or it would be out of sync, and like the status bar would be the wrong color yeah. because it wasn't. You know, you didn't set it in just the right way when the view controller was dismissing. Right. It was never clear. Like, where should I be setting this like global thing back to white? Is it like in the view controller that's going away? Is it in the one right. that presented it? And like, it would get really messy in those cases. Right. So I think. What they've done here fixes those cases really well. Yep. But it's still sometimes a pain in the ass. Because I've never seen that problem on iOS 7, like on apps that were... The one thing I've seen recently that feels real, almost related to that, and I'm not sure how, I, how I've triggered it, but it's like opening up a video, and then I'm either like closing the app and then reopening app, the app to the video, and now I've got the status bar is on top of the... MP movie player controller mm. and it won't go away when you dismiss the UI it's not just changing the color it's sticking that 
on top of everything. So you dismiss the, and like I said, I would probably follow a radar on it if I knew how to reproduce it. But even if you dismiss the UI and the MP movie player controller, it still shows that status bar. There's no way mm-hmm. to get rid of it except for dismissing the video and then relaunching it. Hmm. I haven't seen that. Yeah. I like, I I'm, I'm sure I'm doing something weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's one of these weird edge case things, but I'm not sure what else I've been doing. Um, another thing that like it works and I, I kind of get why it works, but it feels like it shouldn't work the way it does. Like it feels like it's kind of like getting back to what you're saying about when do I do this and when do I do this is like, again, in this case, I have everything inside of view controller, right? But the initial one, the initial screen, the one with two buttons, it doesn't have a nav bar. The next one, any, either one you choose, the next screen does have a nav bar. And so what, what you, what I want is for that screen to not have a nav bar, I tap a button and the nav bar slides over with the view controller, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. And then when I go back, it slides off with the view controller. So there's no weird popping of the nav bar down. There's none of that stuff. So the confusing thing to me is that the way you get that to work is that inside the initial, the one that you don't want to have the navigation bar visible, right? The one where you want it hidden. In, you do that inside view will appear. You say set navigation bar hidden yes, animated yes. Okay. Right? Yeah. Technically, I would probably pass the animated parameter into that if you're in view will oh, appear. Yeah. I guess you could. But go on. That's fair. Um, but then in the incoming view controller, the one where you want it visible, the one where you don't want it hidden, you set that up in view did load. If you do it anywhere else in view will appear, did appear, that's where you get that weird popping transition. But in view did load, if you set the navigation bar hidden, no animated. Yes. Even with animated. Yes. It acts exactly like Mm. you'd expect. I guess the animation isn't going to be visible at that point because it's going to complete before any of the view stuff before it even starts to appear. Right. So. I can't say with certainty how that works because I always show and hide the navigation bar in the navigation controller delegate method will show view controller. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, the first view controller will be the navigation controller's delegate. It'll get will show view controller. If the view controller coming in is not equal to self, show the nav bar and then just pass the animated parameter in and it usually just does the right thing. So don't you think that's weird that you're controlling the appearance on another view controller? Well, you're not. You're controlling the appearance of the navigation controller. Yeah. I kind of see those as being, in this case, I see those as kind of being similar. You know what I mean? Because when you get right down to it, it's you're, you're configuring what it's going to look like when the next screen appears. At like a high, high, yeah. high level. I'm not talking about an act. I, I understand what you're saying at, on like the actual architecture. But from like a really high level... It feels more like you're saying, hey, you need to look like this versus this way, which is a little more code, I guess, but is each view controller and it, and it has this weird, you know, like you have to put things in the right spot. But in this case, I'm saying how this view controller should look inside that view controller, you know, instead of like splitting that logic into another thing. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's not splitting it because in this case, it, it stays in the presenting view controller. Mm-hmm. The, it, all the logic stays in the original one. Mm-hmm. 
because you're basically just saying like here's how here's how the navigation controller my parent view controller should change during this transition if we're about to show me don't show the bar i don't want it mm-hmm. but if you're about to show this next thing do show the bar it should be visible so here only so you're only ever saying if incoming view controller is self hide the bar else show the bar Yep, and then I just pass the animated bit down, and I don't have to do self.navigationcontroller there because I al- it also gives me a reference to the navigation controller in question. Hmm. It looks really nice when you do it that way. Yeah. And all the logic's in one place and not in two view controllers. Or more, right? Because I'm going to have to put this in another place too. Yeah. I may switch to that when I implement this other branch of this. So one thing that I did in the last project was that I had a base view controller that was between UI view controller and all of the view controllers in the application where I could put some logic. Right. And then that base view controller declared conformance to a protocol. And the protocol basically said navigation bar hidden, yes, status bar style, all that stuff. Hmm. And then as I would push things onto the new navigation controller, I would evaluate those properties. Mm-hmm. I think, I'm trying to think. I would look at, like, you know, if we've overridden any of these protocol methods, I would use those to inform the navigation controller how it should be changing as this view controller is getting pushed on. Hmm. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. I could try to throw up a gist. Yeah, I kind of get it. I was thinking about moving to that anyway because I need to figure out how to transition out of where I am now. I'm just kind of stepping through this right now. There's some legacy code in here, so I'm trying to, like, tiptoe around it for now until I can get to actually working on it. And I was thinking about trying out that higher level application view controller pattern on this as well, um, mm-hmm. just because I like it. And it, and it does do th- make things like animating in and out of the launch image, for example. Like it would be awesome to, like right now, the launch image, and I know this is, this is actually against the HIG, but we keep getting designs with it. So like the launch image, it's a splash screen and it is the background for the login screen. Mm-hmm. So you have a big splash screen and then all that shit happens, you just have like two buttons show up. iOS actually does do a kind of nice animation. It does a subtle fade coming out of the launch screen now that it didn't used to do before, right? It used to just pop, but now it actually does, it loads the views and it does a very, very subtle fade in. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't look like it just pops anymore. But I could, I, I, it might be nice to control that. Yeah, it looks. I was just looking at the project, and it, it looks really good when you're going right to that sort of authentication view because it has the same background color, and it's just, you know, the the buttons fade in, sign in, register. Yeah, I'd argue that in the case of a user's very first launch, that is in line with the HIG, right? Because you're supposed to show the user interface without any data in it, right? How, what's this app going to la- look like without any data in it, you know, for the launch image? And then when the application loads, it should look like it's just populating that data. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of in line with that. Because if it's your first launch and you haven't authenticated, then what the app looks like without the data is essentially just the splash screen. Right. You know? Yep. The problem is that once you authenticate, now you're transitioning from that to like something that looks totally different. It has the same colors, but it doesn't, you know, it's a list. So one cool thing you could do would be um, if you, if you go with that application controller route, mm-hmm. it would be to, you know, load up your launch image separately and show it mm-hmm. so that when you get that fade, it just sort of like fades into the same thing. But now right. you're in control of that image. Right. 
And if you need to authenticate, just turn around and you know, fade in that, that view. Everything looks great. And in your specific case, if you're already authenticated, the view has a navigation bar that is the same color as that background. Mm-hmm. So it might be cool to like animate that thing up so it looks like it like moves up and becomes the nav bar. Hmm. And it might be like a nice transition out of that into the normal app. So really you would just like animate it up to like the position where the like the bottom would line up with the bottom of the nav bar yeah. and then just remove it from the super It'd view. It would have to be fast though. I mean that entire like you'd want that entire thing. Oh yeah. It's sliding it's sliding up and then everything fading in. You'd want that to be like I feel like 0.2 seconds. I was, was going to say like yeah. Yeah, when I want like fast animations, I always do 0.18. It yeah. seems like a nice yeah. middle ground. Just less than twice as fast as a normal animation. Although did they change the default of the normal animations? No. I think they're still point I think three. they're all still typically at 0.3. Yeah, let me try that. That's more just, you know, really nice polish. Yeah, I mean, if if I have time to get to that, you know. Mm-hmm. I had to spend some time going back in and kind of redoing some of the or all of the networking stack on this which is fun because I got to use that same basic stack that I had been trying out on a pro the basically the last project that I was on that kind of, you know, we didn't get too far with that, but, um, I got to re-implement that whole thing with a couple small tweaks and I still really like it. So I still wish there was a way for me to abstract that networking stack out a little bit more so that I didn't have to write so many tests every time. This is a whole bunch of tests back in this thing. I mean, I've got just for the networking stack, there's 80, 90 tests, which is great. You know, like I I really like having all those tests in place. Like if one thing changes, I'll know, you know. So the network client has all these tests or the API client has all these tests? The, The entire stack. So the network client has like four, I think, or five. The API client has at least two per endpoint some of the endpoints have three and then there's tests for all of the requests that's where most of them i think 60 60 of those tests are coming from the request objects because there's a ton of tests back and all that stuff which is more documentation than anything else which is something that i talked about before but like using using those tests as describing how the server works on the request side of things you know Mm -hmm. yeah it should be authenticated it should be a post request but the authenticated and post request behaviors, right? I'm using shared shared example groups, which is something that you can do in Specta, which says, here's a, did I go into this already? But it's like, here's X number of tests that should be true if it behaves like this. So I have like, it behaves like a post request. You know what I mean? And then that calls out to, it behaves like an API request internally. And, you know, part of, part of behaving like a post request is that it should have, a it's almost like subclassing kind of but the post request behavior says that it should be the post method but then it also says it should it should behave like an api request and then the api request has four or five tests in it saying like it should have these header settings it should have this base url it should have all this stuff right so what what ends up happening is you get exponentially more tests per request object like per method that I'm calling because it only looks like I'm calling like two things, you know, it should be a get request to this endpoint, but you know, the get request thing is like six, seven tests in its own right. And none of this is actually hitting the server. Nothing hits the server. None of the tests hit the server. It's all stubbed out. 
Got it. So we're using we're using OHHTP stubs with a small small wrapper around it. The wrapper just lets me say stub request, and then I pass in the request object that I want to stub. So stub request with file named, and then I pass it in a file name. Mm-hmm. So you know when I'm testing anything that returns a user, I have like one user.json fixture. That's literally just I just pulled it right out of the the documentation for the endpoints, and so I, I take this user and i just say for any time i need to return that user i say stub request request with file named user.json now how would you sort of catch changes to the api like let's assume that you know you don't know the server team and it's some other contractor and they change a column yeah and so the response changes and you come back so your tests are passing because you're using a fixture now that's out of sync with the actual application right what's the best way to get around that I don't have a good answer other than, you know, you need to be in communication with the server-side team. And they need to be aware of you. And they, if they're changing stuff willy-nilly and just changing keys around, they're doing a very, very bad job. Because if someone's using your API, you can't just change it like that. You know what I mean? You can deprecate keys mm-hmm. and add new keys, but you shouldn't just be removing a key or changing a key or changing the way a key behaves at the drop of a hat. But I totally get that that does happen. So there's a thing called VCR on the Rails side of things, There's a, or on Ruby. There's a thing called VCR. And what VCR does is it records requests. So it doesn't block network requests. It just sticks itself in the middle. And I make a request to an endpoint, and then I get back JSON, and it saves both of those things, right? Mm-hmm. It saves the JSON that was returned and then it also knows what endpoint that was that I hit. So then what you do is you can basically make this recording. You run your test suite against the actual API. You can actually hit the server. You can basically turn VCR like stop blocking the web and turn VCR on and have it record your requests and your responses inside your test suite and then use those recordings for your tests going forward. There is something like this for iOS, but I haven't looked at, I haven't actually looked into it. But there is something that works similarly. And so that's probably what I'm going to end up doing is like, you know, ideally the way it would work, and I have no idea if this is how it would work, but ideally the way it would work is like every X number of tests, it should refresh the cache. Or maybe not tests, but like, you know, once a week, you know, twice a month kind of a thing. It should mm-hmm. refresh the cache of request objects. But I, I have no idea. Again, I have absolutely no idea if that's if the, it does that or how it works. Let's see if I can find it. I wonder how hard it would be to write a tool f- for our use just during development that would pay attention to new active record migrations on the server mm. and just kind of parse them real quick and be like, oh, hey, these, uh, these columns changed here. Mm. You know, so your API is now different. You know, using it as like a spec that you yeah. can always keep checking and making yeah. sure that it's somehow in sync with your models or your, I guess it would, in, in your case, you're using easy mapping, right? So yeah. it would be like, is, is this mapping still in sync with the latest migration that the server just ran? Like, are all the columns all the same? Okay, we're good. Right. That's not a fully baked idea. Just no, it's interesting. thinking of ways to integrate. It's interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure how that would work. Or, you know, if the API itself could broadcast its changes you know, or like you could do some sort of sync call where like the last time I checked it was this date. Has anything changed in the database in terms of structure since then? 
and then you could just update your easy mapping mm-hmm. and everything just works. Mm-hmm. So this is called VCR URL connection. And I think the way, it, the way, what it looks like you do is you basically, you would create a test bundle that just does this and then probably create a scheme for it. Um, because it looks like what it does is you just say VCR start and then you perform a request and then you say VCR save and then pass in a path and that's it. What's the path for saving? Wherever is it like to just the, a file? On the file. It, oh, on it the, just writes. On the file system, I think. So it just writes JSON into a file. It, then you can then turn around and use. Right. And then you can then hand back that path as a URL. They keep calling it a cassette, right? And so then you say VCR load cassette with contents of URL and then VCR start. So I guess this would take the place of OHHTP stubs. And it would, because it does basically the same thing. And that'd be interesting. Like, it would solve what we're talking about. Right. I mean, what would be the first step? Would it be just like once per day you run this thing to capture all the responses from every endpoint or something to test against? Yeah, probably not once a day. I think once a day would be too often. I'm not sure. I have to ask. Yeah, it seems like an API could just have like a status endpoint that would mm-hmm. just tell you like uh, a migration ran since you last hit this endpoint. Mm-hmm. And so you would know to update sort of your dynamic fixtures, if you want to call them that, with VCR. Right. Yeah, it'd be cool to kind of codify this a little bit more. Because I'd love to be able to use OHHTP stubs with this kind of a setup. But it sounds like th- what this does is this records all JSON responses into a single file. Hmm. And then lets you play those back. So it's always any, you know, you make a bunch of requests and then you save it. And then when you load it, it knows what, when it gets those same requests, it plays back the, the cached response, which is good, but it's not as flexible. Because if, for example, I want to test a bad response, mm-hmm. I wonder how you do that. I guess it would still work. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, what else? We have anything else to talk about? No. <laughs> kind of a rambly episode. Yeah. <laughs> Just like touched <laughs> on a bunch of topics, which is fine. This is going to be like the last time we ever talk about iOS 7. Because next week it'll be on the, on the scrap heap of history. But we, but we, won't, <laughs> but we won't be able to talk, be, actually talk about iOS 8 for another six weeks. So I propose that until months. iOS 8 ships, we just start. This podcast just becomes like a, a podcast where we watch a movie together. Yeah. And then comment on the movie. I'm good with that. Okay. I'm good with that. Yeah. I'm getting the yeah. thumbs up from the producer. So we're, we, All right. we, we have to go yep. ahead. Hopefully the fans will like it. <laughs> if not. They suffered through worse. That's a good point. Uh, let's stop this. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, show notes for this episode are going to be found at uh, podcasts.thoughtbot.com slash build phase slash 40. Whoa, 40? This is show 40? The big 4-0? Wow. Does that mean our show is over the hill now? Mm-hmm. Sweet. It's all downhill from here. Yeah. This has been uphill? <laughs> Which one's the bad one? It's been... Downhill it's been... seems good, right? Because you're, it's like easy sailing. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess... Or like downhill into well, your grave. Uphill, uphill doesn't sound great. Yeah, um, yeah, I guess. It's a stupid saying. I think is what I'm getting. Being at. on an upward trajectory is okay. is a good thing, you know. Yes, that's true. But uphill is not. <laughs> no, only because you know, shit's tiring. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Downhill seems nice. Right. Just kind of coast and yeah. We'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. So just a quick note, um, we are actually looking to hire more iOS developers. Specifically, we're looking for developers in the New York area or who are willing to relocate to New York. So if that sounds good to you, you can go ahead and apply. You can go to thoughtbot.com slash jobs and apply there. And we'd love to hear from you. So please email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or contact us at buildphase on Twitter or app.net. And as always, we'd appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. All right. I'll see you. Cool, man.